Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And contributing on this episode are definitely a board game podcast, Dice and Dragons, Board on the Air, The Tabletop Bellhop, Fratinat Games, The Maple Dungeon, Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for the links to all of the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, I am A.A. Ron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast, a podcast definitely about board games, except when it isn't. And here we are on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And this time it definitely is. Definitely is. Yeah. So there's kind of a theme to today's show. Yeah. Yeah. Our games kind of go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I'll go first. I was playing Four Gardens. Four Gardens. Yeah. Sounds, sounds very summery. Well, exactly right. Yeah. Goes with the summer weather. So it's all about uh, you are – this is – this won the Korean Board Game Design Award uh, put out by Korea Board Games in 2020 by Martin Dolezal is the name of the designer. And it's all about building your garden and you do that through these photo or paintings and you're making these paintings and all your cards lining up to create these landscapes of these beautiful gardens. Hmm. And But the cool thing about it is it has this tower sort of in the middle of the table. And each tower, uh, this pagoda, and each ta- level of the pagoda turns independently. Oh, okay. And it has resources printed on the various sides. Hmm. So if you're turning the second level, you're also turning the one above that and the one above that. Oh, okay. So when you turn it, now different stuff is showing at you. And depending on where you turn it, you're going to have a different collection of resources that are showing towards you. Hmm. And then you play cards to take those resources, uh, either starting from the bottom or starting at the top of the pagoda going up and down. You have a very limited number of resources you can hold, so which resources you get is really difficult. And you use those resources to put the cards out into your landscapes, into your paintings. Hmm. This, when I first saw this game, it was almost like an ASRMR video, one of these... And the person made a lovely cup of tea (laughs) and they unboxed the game and they set it up and they sort of played and they were playing the cards and it was very gentle and very quiet. And I thought this would be a really lovely little filler. Yeah. I was wrong. This is like a thinky. This is a puzzly. This is a analysis paralysis a little bit game. Really interesting. Really good. Really recommended. That's Four Gardens by Korea Board Games and Martin Dolezal. Cool. Sounds uh, thinky. <laughs> and completely unique. I don't know anything else like it. Nice. Where did you get that? Uh, this one I think I got from Board Game Bliss. Uh, oh. Originally it was only available through Board Game Geek, but I did wait and Board Game Bliss got some into stock. Nice. Yeah, they seem to be pretty good at getting games that are hard to find. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I've also been playing a summer theme game. In fact, summer is part of the title. It's called Azul Summer Pavilion. This is the second of a trilogy. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but Azul is my all-time favorite board game. I love it so much, so I naturally bought the next two, Summer Pavilion and Stained Glass of Sintra, which I've not played yet. But we finally got Summer Pavilion to the table, and I will say I do like it a lot. Not as much as the original. Uh, but that's because uh, this one's a little bit thinky. Uh, this one's a little more difficult than the original. 
This one has diamond-shaped tiles. And this time you're covering flowers with your diamond-shaped tiles. And the way you place those tiles is a little bit different this time. If you, your, your flowers are numbered one through six, and in order to place a diamond tile on, say, number five of your flower, you have to have five tiles of that color to place it. Uh, also, each round there are wild tiles which help you uh, achieve that. Um, there are also other different bonuses. If you cover all the number ones on your board, you get a bonus. Number twos, threes, fours, they all come with bonuses. Covering an entire flower will give you bonus points. Uh, and also as you play, if you surround statues and lights and, and pillars, uh, you get extra tiles, which will help you on your goal. A lot of fun. Definitely one of my favorites. Definitely more thinky. Not as popular with the people I've played it with. They prefer the original Azul, as do I, but I do love this game and would still put it near the top of all of my games. Uh, I love it that much. And it comes with a really cool little cardboard summer pavilion looking red building, which is kind of nice. And I don't have anything like that in my game collection. So highly recommend it. Michael Kiesling, Next Move Games 2019. And then soon I'll play Stained Glasses Sintra and we'll tell you about that one as well. I think it says a lot about our gaming styles that I was pleasantly surprised how much more complicated Four Gardens was than expected. And you were kind of disappointed by how much more pinky Azul uh, Summer Pavilion was. Always looking for the easy way out. That is me. <laughs> All right. So you'd let us know what you think of these games. If you play them, you can reach us at definitelyboard at gmail.com, at board definitely on Twitter, at definitelyboard on Facebook. And uh, you, we also have a guild on the Board Game Geek, definitely Board Game Podcast. You can reach out to us there. And if you're enjoying all the stuff we're telling you right now, you should listen to our episodes, definitely Board Game Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all these other great places. We're everywhere. It's impossible not to find us. So look for us. Listen. Let us know what you think. Sound good, Royce? Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Bye, everybody. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, or on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. Yes, and what show is this, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. And what we've been playing is Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, designed by Ben Rossett and Matthew O'Malley. Now, this is a collaboration as it is a sequel to Stonemaier Games Between Two Cities and Bezier Games, The Castles of Mad King Ludwig. So it's a pretty cool combination of two titles, and Julie's going to tell you more about the game itself. It is a competitive game uh, that plays three to seven players, though there is a way to play it two players. Yep, there's a two-player variant for the game. That's the variant that we've been playing, actually. Because we are still in pandemic mode, but that's besides the, mode, the point. Uh, it's for ages 10 and above, and it plays in about 45 to 60 minutes. I think the first time when we're getting to know it, it took us a little about 60 minutes, and then this was closer to the 45-minute mark, I think. Yeah, scoring actually takes a, a fair chunk of the time. Well, you want to talk about the, the latest discovery you had about that regarding scoring? Yeah, so I'd like to thank uh, someone on Facebook. I put up a post about uh, starting to play between two castles of Mad King Ludwig. There's an app that will auto-score your castles. And while it can be a little bit wonky depending on your lighting and things like that, it's very easy to uh, calculate the misses uh, on, on the score and you will get a nice quick calculation for the your castle. misses? Oh, what it misses. Yeah. I'm like... Calculating what I did? What? No, I, <laughs> I said it's wonky and it misses things. That's yes. what I was going for. Okay. But it is an awesome way to score your castle. Now, it is not free. It costs a few bucks. But if you're going to be playing this game a lot, especially with a lot of people, it's something that I would highly recommend checking out. Now, Julie, what did you think of Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig? And now, just for everyone, we've played neither of the other two games. Not We haven't played Between Two Cities or Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Uh, I really, I'm, I think I've said this so many times during the pandemic. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic that we have all these games or 
I I wish I think this game would shine at a higher player count. Uh, I think the fact that there is a variant to be able to play uh, as two player is great. I just don't think it's awesome. I think it it would it need you need three players or more. I think this is probably best at four players. I definitely agree with you. I think this is probably better at four or five player count. And one of the main reasons why is when you're playing with three players. Well, sorry. Actually, the two-player variant is essentially three players. You're cycling a lot of the same stacks of tiles. So there's a little less variety that you're going to see, a little less opportunity to go through some of the different rooms. And you may even see some things again, which you're not going to see at higher player count. So I agree with Julie. I really would like to check this out at a higher player count. That being said, there is a lot to like about this game. It plays quickly. It's very easy to teach. The scoring is a little bit... Uh, complicated just because you have to take some time to do it but the app as we said helps out a lot i just really like the way this game plays overall though i like the fact that you're collaborating with another player on each side of you well we haven't done that we've collaborated with uh, an ai essentially and it's it's just a lot of fun actually to uh to play this game I, I really like the components. I mean, with most Stonemeyer games, they're, they're great components. The corrugate uh, that's used for the tiles is is great, and and uh, I think the trays are are good quality as well. So that that's nice when you're playing with it. I, I think I it's nice uh, components. The iconography uh, was a little bit, but I think this is normal with Stonemeyer games. There's a lot of different symbols to get to know when you're playing the game, and but you can figure it out. I still don't understand how I beat you every time. I think it's just luck. Well, this last game was literally by one point. Hey, I still won. The first game you soundly kicked my butt. It was very, very close this time, which is ironic because if I had one more point, it would have gone to a tiebreaker and our tiebreaker would have been the same castle. So it literally would have been a tie game. Uh, as you say, though, there's definitely something missing from the two player. The game is playable, though, and that's one thing that I really respect from this design is you get a playable game and this has to be the fastest setup time that we have of any game in our collection because if you just shuffle the tiles before you clean up literally when you go to set up the game you lift out the trays maybe strain up a few things and you are good to go you're ready to play the game and have it hit the table instantly and i don't think there are that many games that can be played with up to seven players that are still going to be played in about sixty well, minutes, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I look. I can't. I think the only. I think the only other thing I would say about it is I am looking forward to pulling this out at game night and playing uh, with other people. And I think it's great for all kinds of different uh, types of, of people who like playing games. It's just that kind of game, so I'm looking forward to playing it with more people. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that this is a great family fit for a game. The iconography and everything can be a little bit challenging, but once people figure out the scoring, at least that aspect is fairly straightforward, like how rooms score. Just have to pay attention to where you're placing them. Other than that, there really isn't that. And uh, follow the rule book. Yes, follow the rule book, which is well designed. But uh, you can see, uh, well, you can see and listen to uh our review, which will be out actually the day after this, as we talk more in depth about Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. But if you're looking for a good family style game that can, you know, get to the table and basically everyone can play, even Aunt Ida, I think this is one that's well worth checking Ida, out. Ida, really? You think Ida can play it? I think Ida can play it. Okay. But on that note, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to remind everyone to keep playing games. <laughs> I'm Shay. And I'm David. And we are Bored on the Air, and you are listening to What Have You Been Playing? Did you, I say it right this time? You nailed it this time. Yeah. yeah. No, you'll let us know what you've been playing. Nope. A <laughs> weekly board game podcast featuring Canadian content creators, uh, all related to board games. We talk about the game that we have played this week. A game that we've played this week. I can no longer participate in this Why? endeavor because you said it wrong. No, I said it right. The poll showed that I said it right. <laughs> so I, the I game... found out that Ryan actually voted for my side of the poll. Oh, did he? Yes. Oh, but he laughed at your poll. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, it was a pity vote then. <laughs> so you actually have one less vote than you thought you had. No, no, no. It counts. Uh-huh. What did we play, Shay? 
We played Space Base, classic. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's only like two or three years old, but we now call it a classic game. Classic, yeah, classic. Yeah. I don't know. It's a great game. Let's go with it, it's a fantastic game. It, it is, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those games that's actually had some staying power on the shelf. Yeah. Right? There, there's a lot of newer games that don't, don't don't have the legs that Space Base has. Yeah, it's one that we keep going back to, right? I think that's because we can play it with so many different people. Um, and we can. it's pretty easy to take places. It's not a huge game. It's easy um, to teach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell us a bit about Space Space, Dave. So what type of game is it? In Space Space, you are rolling dice. And when you roll your dice, you're going to get something. Uh, and the twist to this is everybody else, if they have ships that have been docked or put into orbit or I forget how they they phrase it in the rule book uh, so you've bought another ship and the ship that was in your main port is flipped over matches the numbers that you rolled they get something as well mm -hmm. and you have this engine that you're building uh, and you're trying to collect either money or income or victory points I mean the g goal of the game is to get what is it 45 40 victory points. 40 victory points. The first one to 40 victory points ends the game or kicks off the end of the round or yeah. the game end. Uh, you finish the round. Whoever has the most points wins. Uh, frequently, it's the person who gets to 40. Uh, yeah. I, I have seen it where somebody has managed to come back in those last two or three or the it's last, really the last their last turn. turn. Yeah, yeah right? they have to be pretty tied up with people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the gist of it is, there's a market that you're buying from each round. Uh, you spend whatever it is to cost for a ship. You don't get any change, and you go back to whatever your income is or zero, if that's where it is. And you do this around and around and around until every some, until somebody hits their points. And it's it's simple. Yeah. It's easy to teach. Uh, the different ships, there's nothing that's super confusing about them. No, there's a couple. Like, I find the charge ones maybe are a little bit more complex, right? Um, just because you have to understand what some of the symbology means. Yeah, I would say they're a little bit of, of a little bit, a little bit more confusion. And then there's the color of the blue and the green as to when you can use those charges. Exactly, yeah. But I do like the engine aspect. Like, it's not just what's on your role. It's also what's on other people's roles. And the idea that you can use, uh, like, each dice as separate numbers or both dice together yep. to make the bigger number. Um, because that can decide how many coins or victory points or income that you get on that roll, right? Yeah, this this one has been, you know, it takes a, a lot from Machikoro. Uh, but it's, it's more... More loved, I would say. Uh, Machikoro, people enjoy, but Space Base, there's a lot of people that really like it. And I think it's, it, it just does it a little better. And it keeps you invested throughout the whole game. You're, you're concerned or you're curious what everybody else is doing because that's going to help you. Yeah, you have to focus on their dice. Yeah. Plus, with the expansion, uh, you get those pink dice. Yep. Pink and red dice that you can buy that is an extra dice to roll on other people's like turns so that you can get victory points, coins, income, yeah, whatever happens to be on the dice. Yeah, the, the expansion is the emergence of Shy Pluto, which we've played through the campaign of it and added everything into the game. And just play, play that way. It doesn't add any extra complexity other than you're rolling dice on your turn as well. So you're looking at those dice, which can get, there's, it's a one out of six sided dice that gives you something and it can yeah. be coins victory points uh allows you to buy some uh jet planes yep which help you buy more of those dice uh you can get some uh ghost dice which only the ghost dice you can only use yeah there's there's some neat stuff that came out of that expansion and i think that it really added to the game and mm -hmm. it's it's one of those, uh, in my opinion, essential expansions that uh, I'm not going to play without. Yeah, it didn't add any complexity, so it just uh, just a bit more fun. Yeah, and we've also added the command center box, which is the big box to hold everything. Not that it needed that big of a box, but 
you know, we can now play up to six players, although I don't think I ever would. No. Uh, and each player has their own colored die, so you're no, you're no longer tr- trading dice with each other. And in COVID, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so that was Space Base. Yes, one of our favorites, which we've played a lot. We've played a lot of Space Base, but we just brought it out again. We haven't actually played it in a while, maybe since last summer. It, it's possible it has been a while, but uh, always good to get back onto the table. Absolutely. I'm David. And I'm Shay. And you're listening to What Have You Been Playing? Uh, We are Bored on the Air, a weekly radio show on CFCR. We're at 6 o'clock every Thursday. And you can find us on all your favorite podcasting sites. Have a great night. Hey, folks. I'm Ryan of Bridge City Board Gamers, and I'm one-third of the weekly podcast Cardboard Conjecture, where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. We are active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us, at BC Board Gamers. Now, growing up, I have always been a big fan of puzzles. Not the classic jigsaw puzzle types, but the brain-burning, have-to-use-logical-thinking-use-all-the-information-that-you-know-to-solve-the-solution puzzles. They come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and forms, and over the past few years, I've really enjoyed them all. Escape rooms have been a staple in my social life, and playing games like Exit or Unlock have been well worth the monetary values that I've spent. I enjoy puzzles so much that I even created my own puzzle hunt for my high school that I teach at. Think of it as a mixture of uh, solving escape room-style puzzles and a scavenge hunt. It was a blast. Even back in college, obtaining my honors degree in mathematics, my favorite classes were in cryptography, the means of encoding and decoding information. Puzzle solving is my jam, which is why I get excited when new games come out that involve it to some extent. Earlier this year, I was very intrigued when Corey Konitska formed his new publishing company, Unexpected Games, in that the first game being released was The Initiative, a unique cooperative board game of story, strategy, and... Wait for it. Code breaking. Sold. I instantly replied on Twitter with that meme of Fry from Futurama shouting, Take my money. The initiative has players take on the roles of teenagers in 1994 who have found a mysterious board game called The Key. Players will be playing these teens playing this board game. Then, oh, right, cool. Super meta. Players will navigate these teens through their lives by playing a series of missions linked together with an interactive comic book. Kind of think of it as like a choose-your-own-adventure type of thing. The gameplay of the initiative is actually very simple. The game board is populated with a bunch of clue tokens that have symbols or traps on them. Those symbols are used to decipher a code, which is either a phrase, word, number, on the back of the mission card. In order to collect those clue tokens, players need to play cards from their hand into one of four action piles. The move pile, which, believe it or not, allows a player to move up to three rooms. Intel allows a player to reveal two two clue tokens from any room that's on the board. Gather allows players to actually collect those clue tokens from the board, revealing some information about the code that they have to decipher. And... No, to take these actions, a player must play a card from their hand that is greater in value than the previous card on the pile. Now, with cards ranging from 1 to 12, eventually a pile won't be able to be played on anymore unless players take the final action, which is called regroup, which discards all of the cards from one of the action piles, allowing players to comfortably take that action once again. Now, players are going to take these actions until the draw pile has been exhausted when which then starts the end game timer. The discarded cards will be shuffled along with four time cards. Once three time cards have been revealed from this new draw pile, the game will immediately end with a loss for the players. Now to win, the players need to decipher the code before that event actually happens. Now you don't have to uncover all and collect all of the clues, just enough that an educated guess can be made to what the solution of the puzzle is. Think you have the answer? Just say it. If you're correct, you guys win the game. However, if you're wrong, you're going to lose. Now, win or lose, the story of the the storyline of the initiative is going to continue for the players. Here, outside of the gameplay, are some really interesting things that really make this a complete experience. 
players would now discover secrets which evolved the game and also contribute to an overall arching meta-story and puzzle taking place outside of the actual gameplay. These are the kinds of things that always intrigue me about these types of puzzle designs, as everything, and I mean anything, can be a clue to help you solve something in the future. Have only completed, I have only completed up to Mission 7 so far, and there are things that I have discovered that I have no idea how to solve them yet, or even what they even mean. If it wasn't for this overall metagame puzzle that is taking place, the initiative actually would be a very dull game experience. The gameplay itself is very simple, a family-style card game that, has been, that can get very repetitive with very little changes to make things interesting after seven games. For me, it has become a routix exercise in completing the game just to get to that bigger story developments. This game will definitely not be for everyone, even the puzzle-solving techniques so far are elementary to puzzle-solving aficionados. I'm really enjoying, though, what the initiative is doing, and it scratches that puzzle-solving itch for me. I really enjoy that you have to pay attention to everything, even, minor, minor spoiler alert here, the solutions to previous missions may contribute to something in the overall metagame or outside of the puzzle. I will deeply be saddened when it is all over and completed, as this is that style of game that once you've solved it, there's going to be nothing left to do. Well, at least there are the exit games to keep me coming. You know, the Deserted Lighthouse and Sacred Temple games actually have jigsaw puzzles in them. And that's what I've been playing. I'm Ryan of the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and you can find our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and we're housed through, how, housed through Podbean. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see what we've been up to lately. Okay, folks, that's been my contribution to what you've been playing Wednesdays, and I'll see you next time. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at TabletopBellhop.com and all over the internet and social media as TabletopBellhop, one word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that to questions at TabletopBellhop.com or visit the webpage I just mentioned and click on Ask the Bellhop. Now the question I'm answering today is what you've been playing this past week. So on the last show here, I talked about how we've been playing a ton of the Adventuria adventure card game from Ulysses Spiel. Well, that hasn't stopped, though all of this past week's play were through Tabletop Simulator. We're still in love with Adventuria and really looking forward to diving into more of the expansion content as time goes on. Well, we're going to be starting that with the Forest of No Return adventure expansion, which we're hoping to check out this week. Now, in regards to Tabletop Simulator, I feel like I'm finally starting to become proficient with it, at least in regards to Aventuria. I have no idea how much of that will carry over to playing other games on Tabletop Simulator, but at least it's not as bad playing Aventuria anymore. Now, I still do get frustrated, especially trying to splay and stack and unstack and flip my endurance cards, but other than that, I'm not moving or turning or flipping things unintentionally anymore. And I am loving the ability to set up different saved cameras and be able to swap between them. Next up, I've got another digital gameplay, but this time with The Crew, Quest for Planet 9 on Board Game Arena, where you can play The Crew for free. Now, once a month, we get together with one of our awesome Patreon patrons, who's backed us at our This Chair is for You backer level. And what we do is we sit down and play a game with them with the whole bellhop team and whoever the patron is. Now, over the last few months, this has been playing The Crew with tabletop bellhop fan Evil John. Now, in this last session, we managed to get up to mission number 30. And I had to say, getting there was rough. Mission 28, in particular, gave us a real hard time. It took us more than 10 tries to get through that one. I gotta say, the difficulty in The Crew definitely ramps up as you get deeper into the game. And we're really feeling that over our last few plays. The other thing, thing I think we've now confirmed is that you can get a losing hand in the crew. There was one mission where I drew all four rockets, and I don't think there was any way 
even if we played with open hands and full communication, that we ha could have completed that mission successfully. Now, I mention this because this goes against something I said when we reviewed the crew over at Tabletop Bellhop, where I thought every mission was at least possible, though not always easy. It does seem that a bad draw could lead to a no-win situation in the crew. Now, that's not saying the game's ruined or terrible or not worth playing anymore. It's still a fantastic game, but I think it's something people considering picking up the game should be aware of. Finally, the last game I got to the table this past week multiple times is a prototype copy of a game called Battle of Gog from Vitaly from Crazy Box Inc., who lent us the game to check out. Now, the Kickstarter for this game actually launched yesterday on the 8th of June, but will be running for 36 days. So if what I'm about to say here sounds cool, take time to go check it out. Now, this uh, Battle of Gog is a light, biblically-themed abstract war game that features some simple mechanics used in interesting ways. Like, to me, this game feels like a mashup of Sid Meier's Civilization II, Settlers of Catan, and Small World due to the mechanics used. Now, I'm not going to get into full details here, but in particular, I dig the way you make the map. This actually uses the box of the game, which you flip over and place tiles on. How resources are generated is really nice because it's based on placing cities on the map and then gathering the resources from the train types that are adjacent to those cities. There's that Civ 2 thing, plus a bit of Catan. And then a very deterministic combat system that features soldiers, represented by dice, with the die number representing the level of that soldier. When a soldier attacks another, the higher level soldier wins, but then reduces their level by the level of the weaker soldier. That really reminded me of the stacks of tiles in Small World, where if you attack with a three stack to a two stack, you lose two guys and take the spot. Now, the goal in this folk on a map game is either control the four corners of the map, wipe out an opponent's last city, or collect five scrolls that were gifted to Gog by God. Now, the version of the game I've been playing is still in the middle of development phase, which I got to say is quite a change from most Kickstarter previews we've looked at in the past. And I didn't really know this when I agreed to check the game out. So while playing this, the game's rules are still kind of in flux. Like after playing the last week or so, I've contacted the designer with rules issues and stuff we found. And he's actually changed a number of the rules based on our feedback and feedback from other previews. Now, what I will say now, there is some cool stuff going on here that I really like. The, uh, the the aspects I've already mentioned, but the way you collect resources, the way battles work, building the map, really neat. But just overall, the game was just, it was okay. It didn't wow us. One of the issues we found is right now, as it stands, it's very random, which can really limit your ability to strategize and play ahead. Plus, the resource costs really need to be playtested. They need to be tried at a bunch of different costs and refined down to what they really need to be. Now, these are both things that I do hope get addressed with more playtesting and more development before the game's ready to actually come out on publication. Now, if you are curious to learn more about Battle of Gog, I will be doing an in-depth review tonight on our Twitch channel. That'll start at 9 p.m. tonight. Well, actually, we probably won't get to the review until about 10 p.m. We've got a topic we're going to cover first, which is about board game tournaments. But for more Gog info, you can tune into that. Plus, I'll be posting a review on the blog this weekend. Well, that's all I've got for this week. It's time for me to check out some more Adventuria, and I'm going to introduce Battle of Gog to the kids before we do up the final review for tonight. Find lots more gaming content at TabletopBellhop.com. Be sure to take out our podcast, the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, on your podcaster of choice. I'll re-record that live Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. You can also check out our new Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop live show, something we just started last week. This happens Sundays at noon. This is a completely unscripted show where I just chat with my best friend about whatever topic is of interest to us at the time. Again, that's at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on. Hey everybody, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're... Friday Night Games. And you can check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, and just search us on YouTube. So John, what game are we going to talk about today on What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, eh? Today we're going to talk about the 2019 podcast, I mean, 
Game of the year. Uh, Wingspan. Content creators of the year. Wingspan. <laughs> uh, Wingspan by Stonemeyer Games, designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. Uh, art by Natalia Ro- I don't know how to say Rojas, Anna Marie Rojas. Martinez, Jarmilio, and Beth Sobel. That's some some famous people there. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure everyone's played Wingspan. Um, so I don't know how much we have to explain, but let's just explain it all. So in Wingspan, you are a bird enthusiast who is trying to attract the best birds into your three different wildlife habitats. So you have forests, grasslands, and the wetlands. So the goal of the game is to have the most points scored after four rounds. And each round, you're going to have a set of turns determined by a set of action cubes. And you will lose one of them each round to the end of round scoring. Points are earned from bird point value eggs laid on each of these collected birds on your board, food stored on collected birds on your board, bird cards tucked under collected birds on your board, bonus points on a card you had in your hand, and points earned by reaching a goal at the end of each round. On a turn during a round, you can perform one of four actions by paying one of your action cubes. You can place a bird in a habitat from your hand using resources collected and possibly eggs. You can place an action cube in the leftmost uncovered space of a habitat. Take the action from right to left. If a bird was there, you would take the bird action if it has one. And as you place birds into different habitats, those birds grant special abilities next time you place an action cube. And this is called engine building. So... Each habitat has a different mechanism. Forests are used to gather resources from the bird feeder, which there's five different resources, six if you have the uh, extra expansion. The grasslands is used to lay eggs, which give you points at the end of the game. And the wetlands are used to draw more bird cards from a from a group of cards that are in the center of the board, which we'll call the marketplace. There's usually three up and there's a deck. You can either draw one from the deck or pick a bird that is face up. Nice. So, hey man, we most of us can agree that this game is pretty good. Uh, so let's get down to what we liked and didn't like about this game, Matt. Okay, what so first say? of all, it is the best podcast I've ever listened to. Um, <laughs> Wingspan, the podcast, is amazing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this podcast is actually amazing. You should listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this game won, like, a crap ton of awards in 2019. You know, best... But like it won awards that it probably shouldn't have. Best card. Uh, that's game. why that's why we're making fun of it. Yeah. But uh you know, I, I what I liked about the game, uh, you know, the artwork is beautiful. The production value is great. Like the uh, especially it comes with like a dice uh, bird feeder dice tower. Like, I don't know, it was pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah. All the components are nice. Yeah, so. everything's super high quality. Everything's yeah. super high quality. What else do you like about it? Uh, I really enjoy the engine building aspect of it. Uh, like when the bird, when the uh, you're moving your cube on the board, um, and then you land on the birds, they all have like different actions that you can take. If you have like really, really good uh, board going, that they can gain a lot of resources and a lot of cool stuff. Um, so if you can play your cards properly, mwah. Um <laughs> And I think the game's easy to play. I disagree. <laughs> of course <laughs> why, you do. <laughs> why? Why do you think it's easy to play? I mean, it's just once you play it, once you play it at least once, like it's just you get how the game goes. I'm gonna right? I'm like, gonna give credit to me because <laughs> I demystified <laughs> the game for you uh, when I read the instruction booklet. So this is actually what I didn't like. I thought the instruction booklet was super complicated and the game was super hard to understand um, when I was reading the instruction booklet trying to figure out how to play. But then I watched a how like a, a single round of play in a video and i'm like this is the easiest game i've ever seen why is this why are these instructions so hard so really when you when you think about it a round of play is very easy you're just putting a cube like your turn on a round you're just laying a cube in one of four areas and you have to do what the area does right, right. and so like it's super easy but the thing is every you know wherever you lay your cube has a lot of rules to it so that's why it's so complicated is that every every spot has a lot of rules so you gotta and and every bird card if you have a lot of birds in your engine that you built there's a lot of activations and that could be very complicated so i could understand why the instruction booklet's so thorough 
but also like to just sit down and play the game is like super easy. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, so what do we like? do? What, what? Sorry. What else didn't we like about this game? Uh, okay, so we played this game a, a bunch of times uh, in person, but the last time we played, we had uh, we had to play it uh, virtually, and one of the people we were playing with was cheating the entire time <laughs> and it was pissing me off so much, but I'm not confrontational. So I didn't say anything. Um, but I'm just like, why, like, why are you cheating at this game? Like you don't need to cheat. Just, just freaking play. Like who cares what the score is at the end of the game? <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people, I, I, I kind of get why. So he was cheating because he didn't, it was his first time playing he didn't understand that um, the birds he needed to keep at the very beginning had to have abilities. And I didn't even really realize that until that game. And then he kept expensive bird costs, so he didn't have enough food to play them. So he was trying to get more food to play his cards. It didn't help him in the end anyway. I kicked everyone's butt. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, you know, like, come on. You can't... Yeah. You're just playing a game friendly. It's your first game. Like, who cares if you win? I can understand if it's your fifth game and you're a little bit angry, like, okay, yeah, maybe you're a little frustrated. I get it. Yeah. Um, what else didn't you like about it, John? Um, that's pretty much it. No, either there's a lot of cards, you know, especially if you add, like, the expansions into it. You know, there's 200-plus cards, and you really only go through, like, a handful of them, maybe, like, 30. Yeah, I found that kind of sad. Or maybe you yeah. go through 50, but still, you're like, there's so many cards that you want to go through, and... And then maybe that stops it from being balanced because there's so many cards. I don't maybe. know. Maybe I didn't really like the time between turns. Like if I play my turn and then someone's sitting there thinking, I feel like it could take quite a long time before someone uh, yeah. plays. And there's so much, there's so many birds you could draw and stuff that there's a lot going on. And you're and you're also trying to watch people's moves. Like I'm trying to teach the game and help people play. So with every bird activation, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and then you add that complexity of the digital platform, it's even longer. Yeah, yeah. It's about half like, an hour per person to, in real life. It was like three hours and a half on the digital platform. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah it, like it took me like five minutes to try to drag a card <laughs> to your hand <laughs> over yeah. to where it needed to be. Yeah. Um and then the other thing I didn't like was the bonus cards. I don't think they're even needed, to be honest. Like I never used yeah. it. All my points came from eggs and birds, never that bonus card. Yeah, the bonus cards. I like. I found every game that I played that were and really hard to achieve. Number one, and number two, you know, if you have like a really hard bonus card, because luckily, you know, you, you you get the bonus card. It tells you the percentage of cards that that you can that will have that ability or whatever to to get that bonus. If you're stuck with like something like only like five to six percent of the cards have this thing, like you're never gonna get it. Um, I had a hard time with mine when we played and uh, I'm trying to remember what mine was, but it was like 11% of the cards. And I was like, Oh yeah, mine was, um, they had to, they had to eat fish. Fish had to be one of the resources on their, uh, their thing on the card to, to pay for them. And I didn't get it. I'd have four. I had, no, I did. I had two cards that had fish on it. And then that was like the low end of the bonus card it was really hard for me to, to find those yeah i noticed that like i don't even focus on the bonus i just focus on building my engine getting cards yeah. that i can play a you know a cube on a habitat that will give me other habitat abilities like draw or resources i only found that that was actually the most helpful so All right so other than that uh we played it right so uh haha <laughs> <laughs> but uh just got you there just by well, yeah but just by one tip i'm just gonna say the one tip if you have never played this game, um, although if you listen to this pod, if you listen to the Bridge City Board Gamers podcast, you probably have. But if you just in case you have never, don't read the like have the instructions there to help you. But watch a watch a playthrough video and just watch how a turn goes. You'll you'll thank me later. Right. <laughs> All right, we're Matt and John from Friday Night Games. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at friday night gms you can find us on youtube or on our website fridaynight.games thanks everyone thank you hello everybody it's rob and Anna Marie from the meeple dungeon hello
And we are back recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And we've been playing one game this week. What have we been playing, Anna-Marie? We have been playing Horrified, designed by Prospero Hall and published by Ravensburger. Yeah, we've been playing Horrified. Now, this game uh, we first played for the first time back at Shucks of 2019, I believe. Uh, was that a con, but yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was at Shucks in 2019 in Vancouver. And we loved it then, and then we couldn't find it for the longest time. And then uh, I think about six months later, we found it. And yeah, it's been in our collection ever since. And we've been playing it a lot lately. So, uh, Horrified. So it's uh, it's a game of heroes versus all the classic universal monsters like Dracula, Frankenstein. Invisible ma- a man of mine. <laughs> Invisible mine. Invisible man. Yeah. Wolfman, Bride of Frankenstein, the Bride, uh, the Mummy, and each each villain has a uh, particularly neat way of defeating them. So you're you're running around on a board uh, with your hero, taking actions, picking up items, and trying to defeat these villains. And each one has a very particular way of defeating them. Like uh, the the Mummy, you have to break his curse, and you have to do a little puzzle. Uh, to to break that curse and then you have to defeat him and put him back into his tomb and uh, Dracula you have to go around smashing all of his coffins and then you're able to he has nowhere else enough. to sleep yeah and <laughs> yeah you can get you can catch him and and get him with the stake and the uh, bride uh, of Frankenstein and Frankenstein is pretty funny where, I love this one yeah where you're um, yeah. you're you're trying to stay away from them and uh, and then you're you're trying to just to, to to switch up their humanity. You're trying to turn them back human and you're doing this by using items and turning a dial and switching them hopefully back to human by the time that they've reached each other. They kind of fall in love and they just walk away and they don't want to hurt anybody. So the theme is like crazy good in this game. It just comes oozing out of the game, these monsters. But um, yeah, so what do you like about this game, Anna-Marie? Um, This has been one of the first games I have found that's really engaged, or I guess somewhat engaged, our six-year-old. Yeah. So he, Mm -hmm. like, Forbidden Desert is his gem. He loves that game. We'll play it all the time. Um, And he likes war and, like, little card games and stuff. But but this one actually, he sat the whole time playing with us and because he loves co-ops. And so this was a great co-op for him. Just you know, everybody helping each other, and uh, he really liked it. So I really liked that. Oh, yeah, I should have mentioned, yeah, it's a, it's a co-op game, by the yeah, way. Yeah, co-op, you can you're play working together. <laughs> one to four players. You can play by yourself if you wanted. Um, and I really loved the color scheme on this board. I know. I found that it super popped. They used dark blue and then bright yellow. So yeah. the paths and the locations are all bright yellow, all t- kind of together, and then everything else is that uh, dark blue and I really just felt like I was being stalked on the evening streets by monsters yeah. lurking <laughs> in the shadows. Yeah, totally. And so it really kind of helped to evoke that feeling like you're trying to run away from these monsters but you're also trying to like kill the monsters and Yeah. It was just I really liked that aspect of it just the board kind of brought it to life, helped to bring it to life. It very much did. Um and I I I love how this game works. It's very very simple. Your your character has uh, between three and five actions, um, depending on who you choose. Uh, a person that has five actions will have no special ability. A player with four actions will have an okay special ability. And a person with three actions would have a pretty good special ability. So it's depending on who you use, it really uh, dictates how you how you right. go through this game. And so you'll go through doing your actions, moving around, picking up items, doing things. And then after your turn, it's the monster's turn and the monster card flips over and it's going to add more items to the board. It's going to make the monster do something special. And then it's going to tell you at the bottom which monsters are going to be moving around and attacking people if they cross your path. And I like that you can pick and choose what monsters you want to play against. So a novice game, you play with two monsters. Uh, For a normal kind of challenge game, you do three. And for an an advanced game, you would fight against four of these monsters, which is nearly impossible to win. (laughs) We generally play between two and three monsters. and um, Depending on who we're playing with or or whatever. Yeah, Or if we wanted just a quick game, we'll do two. If we want a real challenge, we'll we'll do three. Um, But no, it's really simple. And yet really challenging and fun and relatively quick we usually don't take much longer than an hour no if not yeah yeah an hour on the outside to uh to do this 
And uh, yeah, that's cool. There's two ways to lose where if the, the monster deck runs out, so if you take way too long, too many turns, uh, the monster deck runs out, you lose. Or every time they hit one of you, if they hit me or her or one of the villagers that start getting scattered around right. on the on the board, you will uh, start moving up the horror track or horrified track or whatever it is. And then if you've moved up uh, seven or eight spots on the horrified track, you lose the game. So it's like, it's really easy to see when you're getting close to losing and really easy to see when you're getting close to winning when you're uh you know you've got them on the ropes and you've broken all the coffins of of uh dracula, dracula and then yeah. you just know you got to get to him and you got to stab him or whatever right so yeah simple game but it's pretty challenging especially the mummy we just played him yeah just now just before we did this recording and it's like oh man like you have to do a little puzzle and all the things kind of have to fall into place you have to kind of get lucky with because the items you use, there's three different colors and, and certain uh, things take certain colors for you to use. So you have to use yellow items in, in this case when you're taking on the mummy you're, when you're trying to decipher his his code. And the items are all laid out at random kind yeah. of on the monster turns. Um, you're putting them out at the different locations. So you have to go to the locations to pick up the items. Mm-hmm. And so you might have a whole stack of them, but they can also mitigate attacks against you. So you can yeah. get rid of them that way. And then you might not have them to use against That's the right. monsters. So mm-hmm. it's a balancing act of yeah, that too. Yeah, but you yeah. can share them, which is nice for an action. You can share them with a teammate. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's yeah, it, it it has some of the luck in there, luck of the draw for which tiles you're yeah. pulling out. Yeah. Um, but it yeah, but it, they're eventually all gonna kind of gonna come yeah, out. Yeah, enough items get scattered around that it's it's not usually not a huge yeah. issue. But it you can find yourself like oh no, I need one more yellow item, and the closest one is like five spaces away, and you yeah. got to run out into the streets to get it, and then hope that you can get back by your next turn yeah. to use it. And so forth, but yeah, I no. like how you're saying that it is. It is a fairly simple gameplay, but it's challenging in it's very challenging. And how you, yeah, simple doesn't it. mean it's not hard, right. right? You know, like it's simple to do, but it's yeah. it's not easy to win. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we really love this game. Highly, definitely, uh, highly recommend it uh, if you like a good, quick, f- especially a family game co-op. It's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, we got to run. So this has been Rob and Anne-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers community here in Saskatoon. And it's been a while, but uh, let's go check out what the community has been playing on the Facebook community page, the Bridge City Board Gamers Facebook community page. So let's start off. Jeff has played Amerigo Cloud Age, Lines of, I think it's Lydia, Spirit Island, and Winter Kingdom Builder. Out of that lineup, yeah, Spirit Island. I like that. I haven't played Cloud Age, but I do like uh, Alexander Pfister. Amerigo... Love me some Stefan Feld. Haven't played that one. Yeah. Now you've just pointed out games that I need to play. And I thank you for that. Kelly. Ruins and regulations, including the Nefarious Neighbor expansion. I have not heard of that. Time for some research. Yay. Cool. Jason. Res Arcana. Yes. Nice. Lost Ruins of Arnak. Yeah. I have that game. That's a fantastic game. Mountain Goats. I've heard sparse things about that. Cool. And Clank Legacy. Oh, I can't wait till we get back together to game because we got to finish our campaign. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Moving on. We have Brian has played more Sleeping Gods, Imperial Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North, um, and Shopping Time and Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. I'm doing Jaws of the Line now. I think that's a... I think that's a great, great uh, system that he put together. And Sleeping Gods, uh, Ryan Lockett, Lockett, um, fantastic artist, fantastic designer, fantastic publishing company. Wow, yeah, great, great, great. Now here, Sleeping Gods is really cool. So awesome, awesome. Uh, Marianne is playing Aztlan, uh, A-Z-T-L-A-N. It's It has, I've not heard of it. It has kind of a Mesopotamian, Egyptian kind of thing going on. Cool. It looks like it's an area control. 
Ooh, I'm very interested now. That's one of my favorite mechanisms. Tim has been playing Dragon Rampart with an exclamation point. Dragon Rampart. There we go. I did it properly. Um, I have not heard of that. I think it's an RPG. Ooh, I'm going to do some more research again. Oh, I've got some homework tonight. Yay. Uh, Travis, Seven Wonders Duel, Wizard, All of Us, which is a trivia game, and Maracaibo. Nice. Nice. Uh, Maracaibo. Yeah. Yeah. Alexander Pfister. Um, my Great Western Trail. I like that one. I know there's a lot of people. That, that's a hit and miss game, but I, yeah. Yeah. Maracaibo. That's another fantastic game, too. Uh, Steve got Grindhouse to table and enjoyed. Nice, Grindhouse. I don't think I've heard of that one. All right, Hands, Lines of Lydia. Hey, I did get it right. Uh, Cloud Age, Amerigo, Terraform. Hmm, I wonder if Hands and, and, uh, and, uh, is it, uh, Jeff? I wonder if those guys are playing games together. Yeah, yeah. One, I wonder. Um, Terraforming Mars. One horribly played game of Seven Wonders Duel. All right, Mountain Goats and Anachrony. Anachrony. Yeah, Ryan has that game. He says it's it's uh it's got some crazy and 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 dynamic and interesting worker placement mechanisms going on there. Brian, trying to learn Stone Age on BGA. Is it worth getting? Hmm. Well, you have to play it to like it or not like it. I'm, 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 a, I'm, you know, the whole hit and miss. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a miss on that one. Yeah, because only, only because the dice hate me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not big on that random part of it because I'm facing an uphill battle anytime there's dice involved. <laughs> but that's just on me. I have to deal with that. Well, that was a fantastic lineup of games. I'm definitely going to have to do some homework with that one. Uh, what have I been playing this week? Well, uh, like I've said before, every morning um, typically starts off with some uh, crocono before Daniel goes to school, but we've changed it up. And uh, uh, over the weekend, I showed Daniel how to play uh, Latte Throwdown. And uh, uh, Latte Throwdown is designed by Corey Keller, published by Analog Game Studios. And uh, it's a it's a dice chucker, as I said in Stone Age, the dice hate me. But that's you know, that's when it's looking for resources. But at least in this game, uh, I have an option how to use my dice. So it doesn't matter if I roll a one, because one might be important. Because in Latte Throwdown, uh, you're doing what's the best way to describe this? You have you have a set a set of cards in front of you that represent. Uh, 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 lattes and you are uh, baristas I, I think I said that properly and you're doing that final little design on the top and uh, each card represents a particular design and its level of technical difficulty and that is represented by the dice that uh, represent the card so uh, a set of two dice will probably you know have a, a latte design that's a, a value of two and a set of three dice uh, value of three and so on and four right and five value five uh, what this is it's a race game and it's the first to 20 and and it's yeah it's basically uh, a competitive because everybody can compete for whatever whatever latte that they wish to uh, attempt to complete on their turn and so Daniel has had so much fun with that game because as far as the rule set goes it's pretty straightforward roll the dice match the dice with the recipe that you're or the latte that you're trying to build and try to do it before the other person and win um this uh and uh this is important uh i mean to note because uh for those people who don't know my son daniel has down syndrome and uh so anytime i can take a game that i enjoy and 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 have an affinity for and uh, uh scaffold the learning so that he can participate in the same enjoyment as me i i will do that anytime I can. And uh, this game definitely lends itself to that. The game, though, also has, a, you know, uh, what's called barista cards. And uh, that adds a, a, a more uh, intricate level of, uh, of strategy to this game because those are, I mean, those are the rule breaker cards, right? And uh, you can use dice to engage these or clear the market and get new barista cards up. 
and uh, those cards allow you to, uh, uh, you know, take a uh, take a two and modify it to whatever dice you want, depending on the power on the card. There's some cards that have a power that allows you to uh, get extra dice, and uh, thematically, I can't remember how they connect it to maybe an extra worker or something like that. But uh, it increases your dice pool, which increases your ability to um, get the numbers that you're looking for to complete those beautiful latte designs on your on your lattes and what i love the most about this is uh uh we we play this waiting for his bus and i have a coffee and uh, every once in a while daniel will say stop coffee break and we'll have a sip and uh this game is exactly the the thing we need in the morning so that's what we've been playing and uh i'm gonna continue having fun with that uh, game every morning so thank you very much, Analog Game Studios and Corey Keller. Uh, you've, uh, you've given us a wonderful little coffee break game. And that being said, I want to take the opportunity to thank everybody for uh, listening to what we've put together this episode. And of course, send out my gratitude and thanks to all of the content creators that uh, contribute regularly to the show. And uh, of course... Keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? If you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift, and it would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for board game podcasts. This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by Cardboard Conjecture, who can't even imagine what it's going to be like to play board games in public. It'll happen. 